this morning. We are concluding our sermon series, uh, Sit, Walk, and Stand, which is a sermon series through Paul's letter to the Ephesians. So today, we're going to talk about stand. Uh, Anybody familiar with this game? Red Rover, Red Rover. Send Katie on over. I'll pick up my wife this morning. Red Rover, Red Rover. I've got a few people shaking their You've never played Red Rover? I feel like we need to have a church picnic and all of us play. Maybe we could do that at the bonfire on Friday, you know? We'll play Red Rover. You know, okay, so I'll explain it to you for those of you who are, don't know. You know, I ran into, not total side note here, I ran into somebody at the grocery store a few weeks ago and I, brought, I bought some ice cream and root beer. You know what I'm going to make when I have ice cream and root beer, right? A root beer float. The person that was behind me, I hope that person's not here this morning. The person that was behind me uh, said they had never heard of a root beer, f- beer float in their lives. I'm like, are you kidding me? They're like the best. It was, oh my gosh. Now I want a root beer float. Anyway, Red Rover, Red Rover. Every, you get everybody that's in the room, uh, you, you count off maybe one, two, one, two, and all the ones get on one side of the room and all the twos get on the other side of the room. And then you link arms. Uh, usually you, you link arms like this. Uh, across in a big line, and one side will call out to the other side, Red Rover, Red Rover, send Daniel on over. And so Daniel on the other side would come running as hard as he could and try to break through that line, okay? And then if you broke through the line, you got to take one person from that line over to your side. But if you didn't break through the line, you had to stay over on that side. And so the object of the game is to whittle that team down, uh, break them down so that you get everybody over onto one side. I hated that game. <laughs> I hated that game. And the reason why I hated that game, it was, it was either... I was always kind of nervous. I'm hanging on to this person over here, and I'm hanging on to this person over here. And I know, like, the person that we're going to call over is going to be so big and be so strong, and they're going to break my arm. Or the person that's next to me is a weenie. <laughs> they're going to they're let go even before that person comes, and we're going to lose because that person won't let go. So it, it is... You have to trust each other in this line, and that line is not going to break through. I just want to use that as kind of a a bit of a description of as we get into this, this last message in this series of stand, because sometimes I think that's the way that we feel when it comes to dealing with our enemy, the accuser of our souls, Satan, we'll call him, the devil, Because we may feel like, I know I've got to stand here, and I'm standing here with other people, but I'm scared. I'm scared. Because I'm afraid that no matter how much I stand, and no matter how much I rely on the people that are standing next to me, it feels like a horror movie. It feels like I'm not going to be able to withstand this. Okay, another game that we used to play as kids, I won't tell you the name of it because it would be very offensive, but uh, it, it was called, we could also call it dog pile, okay, where you throw a ball up in the air and you catch the ball, and if you're the one with the ball, everybody has to kind of jump on you and, and put you underneath the ball until you let loose of that. I was never good at that because as soon as I saw the crowd coming after me, the ball would go up in the air, and there's no way I'm going to have these people jump all over me to be the person on the bottom of the pile, to be backed up against the wall, 
I hate that. I hate, I didn't, I'm, I'm such a non-confrontational person. I never enjoy debate. I never enjoy argument. Look, Katie, don't laugh. <laughs> I never enjoy a conflict. And I think the reason why Katie is laughing is because she has Irish blood and she knows how to fight. And I don't play that game very well. <laughs> I shy away from those moments, or worse, I struggle to avoid the pain. I struggle playing games with those who love competition. Okay, I just, I just want us all to, can't we all just get along? <laughs> you know? And when, when I'm backed in the corner, the worst of me comes out. And I'm ashamed of that. That's, my, that's the ugly part. And, I, and um, this becomes this confession time for me. I will tend to use words of manipulation to make other people feel bad about the way that they are treating me and, uh, and, treating and feel bad about themselves so that I can get my way. And, and Satan can very easily take a foothold in our lives if we do not keep the order that we've been talking about. I use those illustrations just as a kind of a reminder, maybe something that will kind of help us understand, yeah, I, maybe you're there too, that whether you like conflict or not, you don't like being in that place where you feel helpless. And so there's an order that Paul talks about in this letter that is very, very important. That's why I want to review for a moment. Because first, we must sit, right? We must sit. We sit and understand that our position is with Jesus Christ. We sit with him in his accomplished work. We must first rest in Christ and, and what he has done. We must trust in the power of Jesus, the power in the name of Jesus that we just sang about. And we must embrace that we are seated there with him. That's where we start. And that's where we go all the time. We must start there. And second, as we talked about last week, we walk. We are God's what? We are his craftsmanship. We are his workmanship, and we have been created with a purpose. God has made us one with him, and we do not walk this path alone. We walk together, so we have not only a oneness with Jesus Christ, but we have a oneness with one another, and we demonstrate the love of God to the world around us. And we are gifted. The Holy Spirit has poured out gifts upon us, and some of you have taken that APEST uh, test that I mentioned last week, and uh, the, the website is in the stone's throw. Uh, you can grab that and look at that. But we're understanding a little bit more of how God has gifted us in the power of the Holy Spirit uh, to understand our purpose and our unique vocation and our station and our proximity in this world. Now we stand. Now we hold our ground in victory against the enemy. We call this spiritual warfare. Now, we will not, I will not attempt to handle this large topic in one sitting. There's so much that can be uh, pulled out of this. And this would be a very good series for us to do uh, in, in some way, whether it's through sermons or teaching, and it's something that we need to address in more detail. But however, I would like to look at this from the perspective of the posture that we have in Jesus Christ in regards to the spiritual attacks that we all will face and what we are in, and what we are in these days facing as the Living Stones Church. We are indeed under attack. We are indeed under attack. And that being said, Spiritual warfare is a very real thing. It's a very real thing. 
about, and I don't know what your experience has been. Uh, I, I, I don't want to get into a whole lot of details except for maybe what I've experienced. I remember a year and a half ago, I, uh, and, and I not, I'm not making light of this at all because I have a great deal of compassion and empathy for those who struggle with anxiety and panic attacks. I've never had one except about a year and a half ago I had one. I didn't know how to handle it, but I was kind of, I was preparing for our Monday night Bible study, and, and all of a sudden I just found myself unaware of where I was in my office and not able to function. It was scary. I know it was scary for Katie and for all of the students that were over at our house. I was grateful for their, their comfort, for their prayers, for them stepping in and recognizing that this was a moment where we needed to be strong for the other, the, the other person. That's, in my opinion, was a spiritual attack. It was, it was warfare that was being raged on. It was a very real thing. And in order to face the oppression from the enemy of our souls, we would do well to remember Paul's encouragement from this letter. For sitting in Christ is where we need to start because it elevates Jesus' power over all the places us and places us there with him. And then when we walk together in community, as we live out our lives together, when we struggle, we are not ashamed or too prideful to share this with our brothers and sisters. We need one another on this journey to carry us. Those will be two of the things that we carry with us as we go into this spiritual battle. Our struggle is against things that are unseen. That's hard to understand because we can identify people that are around us that seem to be against us. It's often manifests itself through others. It's hard to remember that the person that may be causing my pain or seemingly causing my pain or seems to be my enemy, that other person is also a child of God. All of us, created in the image and love of our creator. And the very struggle that I have now or remember is also that that person is struggling with as well. One of my early mentors in my life said something that will always stick with me, and he said, put your hands out like this and remember that everybody has a big problem. And the reason why that individual might seem to be my enemy today is because they're carrying something that I don't understand. And that takes a great deal of patience and vision and perspective to say, to pause and say, wait, my struggle is not against that person because they're facing some kind of spiritual attack as well. And that's important for us to remember as a church we see, we only see flesh and blood. We are limited in this way. We pray that God will give us eyes to see beyond that there is something at work around us all that is competing for all of our souls. But there is also someone else more powerful than all of these forces that has already been victorious. Amen? So the first item that I'd like for us to remember this morning is as we have sung and has maybe caused emotion within you, it's a reminder that in Christ, we are already conquerors. This battle that we face is not something where we are on the attack because we already have the ground. We already have the ground. Listen to Paul's words. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. 
put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and, uh, and after you have done everything, to stand. This is our final position. This is the position where we find ourselves today. The word stand here means, as, what, as I've already said it, it means to hold your ground. We're not taking the hill. We're already on the hill. It's already been won for us. We're not marching there. We're not invading. We're not trying to subdue. The word stand implies that the ground disputed by the enemy is really God's already. And therefore, because we sit with him, we are also there with him. We are victorious. And we need not struggle to take a foothold for this. Christ has already waged the war and won through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. That battle has already been done. And he defeated the power of sin and death for all of us. And that should cause you to shout, Amen. Even when Christ predicted his death, he also foresaw the defeat of the prince of this world. With this, within the sphere of Christ, the enemy's defeat is already a fact, and the church has been put there to keep it defeated. He would, he would tell Peter, as Peter, we asked Peter, who do you say that I am? He asked the disciples, who do you say, do people say that I am? And they said, well, some say that you are Elijah. Some say that you are one of the prophets. Some say you're a John the Baptist, come back to life. And he looked at Peter and he said, Peter, who do you say that I am? You are Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And he said, blessed are you, Simon. I'm now calling you Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And what does it say beyond that? And what? And the gates of Hades will not will not overcome. Amen. We have that, and if we remember that, and, and in Romans chapter 8, verse 37, it, it talks about how we are more than conquerors. We do not fight for victory. We fight from a position of victory. We do not, we, our greatest struggle is not against people, but it is against these dark forces, these, this, these things from the spiritual realm. <laughs> I think about my greatest struggle, and there are a lot of them. <laughs> there are a lot of things where, and I already kind of confessed to you what happens in the midst of that that feeling of insecurity for me where I fight back and I let Satan control. I let him take ground. I, I let him push me off of that, that spot. And I keep going back to it. The scriptures will talk about how, how we, when we're in that space, we kind of go back to it like a dog goes after its vomit. <laughs> Why do I go there? Why do we struggle with that? 
But this attitude, when we remember that we are not having to fight to keep this position that we already have, it'll change our attitudes in the world, and there will be no need for despair. Victory is here and now, folks, not something distant that I must fade or take. When I become concerned that I must fight against something, the accuser already has the upper hand. And that is why in spiritual warfare, I must start with sitting in Christ where he is seated with God. Listen, Satan's primary objective is not to get us to sin. That's not what he's trying to get us to do. He's simply trying to make it easy for us to do so by getting us to forget that we have victory, the victory that Jesus has already won for us. Through the head or the heart, our intellect or our feelings, the enemy assaults our rest in Christ and our walk in the Spirit. But we must remember, we are already conquerors. The second part that I want to focus on is that for Christ, we are well equipped. This is when we get into this list. How, what has he given us so that we can defend the ground that we are on? And so in uh, Ephesians chapter 6, uh, starting, uh, starting at verse 14, he says, Stand firm then. With the belt of truth buckled around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith which, is, which, which you can extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. Is that all? Think about that for a minute. What are all these items? Aside from the sword... What are all these items? Imagine somebody standing here with all of this armor on. What's the purpose of all of this armor? Protection, defense. It's not an attack, and even the sword itself is not necessarily meant to be something that we attack with, but something that we use. It's a weapon that we use to defend. And I look at that and I think, I only have a sword? Where's the bazooka? Where's the rifle? Where's even little David had a slingshot and a bag of stones? Where's mine? This is all I have? The difficulty is that I feel like I need to be in that place. That's the worst part of myself when I feel like I need to attack something. It is true that our Lord Jesus is seated. We must see ourselves there. In Ephesians 1, 21 and 22, remember, far above all rule, or, rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is evo- invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church. And we respond in like, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In gratitude, we're thankful that we are there. Yet, we have to admit that we do not see all things subject to him. For Paul, the enemy is still active, vying for my attention there and distracting us from our purpose. If our struggle is not against flesh and blood, then what is our struggle against? What do the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms, what is the power of this dark world? 
I think Jesus gave us an example of this. I think he lived it out for us, and we can understand maybe a little bit. I think we can understand a lot when he was tested, when he fought a battle, when he was in the wilderness, and that Satan came to him and tried to distract him. Listen to these words. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days. And at the end of them, after 40 days, what would happen to you? Uh, after a day, I've, I'm already, what, hangry, right? It doesn't, I can't imagine 40 days, and here's Jesus. He ate nothing. And the devil said to him, which I love this first one from the devil, right? He says to him, if you are the son of God, tell these rocks to become bread, right? He knows. You've been fasting for these many days. Don't you want something to eat? Don't you want something to eat? Just, how did Jesus answer? Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. The accuser tries to convince us that we don't have enough. Now, I look at that and I think, oh my gosh, that's not enough at all. I mean, for 40 days, you haven't had anything to eat. You don't have anything. But that's not what Satan is concerned with. And that's not what Jesus uh, will come up against. Yes, he would love to have some bread, but this is about scarcity. And we are oftentimes there. As individuals in the church, we, we feel like we need to strive for anything. I need to grab at everything. And Jesus says, it's not just about bread, but I dwell on the word of God. I am reminded, this is my weapon. This is my defense against you. I have enough. God has given me everything that I need. The devil led him on a high place and showed him in, in an instant all the kingdoms of this world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. Splendor It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The accuser will try to convince us as a church that we are not enough. Not only do I not have enough, but he's also saying, and you, you aren't enough. The way that you were created, the gifts that God has given you, wherever you find yourself in your life right now, eh, it's not enough. And that's what Satan tried to convince Jesus. As he's in this weak spot and he looks out all over the kingdoms, are not following after him at this moment. He tries to convince Jesus when I look for my support and my affirmation from other places rather than God's affirmation of his love for me, that is when I have become weak. That is when I'm listening to that accuser. But Jesus will say, I, if worship the Lord your God. Serve him only. Then the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him st stand at the highest point of the temple. And he says, if you are the son of God, 
Throw yourself down for here, from here, for it is written. Here's, here's Satan, right? Satan is going to use Jesus' defense against him, or try to. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. The accuser tries to not only convince us that I don't have enough and that I'm not enough, but he goes even a step further and he accuses the church that Jesus is not enough, that God is not enough. He attacks our commitment. And, and when I'm attacked there, what I want to do is I, I've committed this thing to him. I've, I've put it in his hands. I've surrendered it to him. But it's like, wait a minute. I'll, 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 give me that back. Give me that back. I've found myself there many, many times. We know what that's like. Our defense, our defense for the, must be to, to defend the place where I am already the conqueror. Satan has no power here. And thirdly, the God, to God we come in the name of Christ with our prayers. In Ephesians chapter 6, it goes on in verse 18, pray in the Spirit in all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests, and with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Listen to Paul's cry for the church. Listen to these words. He says, be alert and pray for the Lord's people. This is what we do for one another. We stand with each other and we pray for one another. So pray for those of us who are in leadership. Because we are not, just because we're in leadership doesn't mean that we are immune to Satan's attacks. <laughs> I need your prayers. The elders need your prayers. Those who sit in places of leadership in this church, we need your prayers. And we are susceptible to those even more so to give in and to give up and to say, forget it. It's not worth it. What would it be like if instead of complaining, we pray? Paul's words in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, do not worry about anything but in everything by prayer and petition. Present your requests to God and leave them there. Sometimes our worries and our complaints play right into the hand of the enemy. Do you see that? When we get to this place of this not enoughness that Jesus walked through for us and gave us an example, when we think that everything is out of order and we grab it back rather than praying and we complain about those things, we have played right into the devil's hands because that's what he wants. He wants to divide us. He wants to... He wants to push us off this place where we already stand. And his desire is to cause this division and disharmony among us. This, I believe, is the weapon Satan uses the most in our journey. But together, in love for one another, where we see that each of us walks through this journey and has struggles, faces spiritual Warfare. Together, we hold on to each other and we're stronger.
If Satan can get us blaming one another for our pain, think about how that divides us and takes our focus off of Jesus and more on our troubles. And then we blame others rather than the accuser. He is the one. This is where I have failed most as a leader, unfortunately. This is where I struggle, where I'm more concerned about pleasing other people and getting my way and thinking that I know the best. And, the, and worse than that attack on one another that, that, that Satan will try to use as a weapon against us, we lose hope and our focus in Jesus. But listen to these words from Philippians. Listen to Paul's words to this church. Who being Jesus Christ, who being the very nature God did not consider equality with God to be grasped, something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. We should not be surprised that we are going through trials. Paul will say, will in some ways count it a privilege to suffer. And he shows us the example of how Jesus did that, but he would also say, this is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. These, all of these things are being used by the devil, or the accuser, as weapons, but he says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. God doesn't waste anything. God is doing something among us. If everything was just peaceful, and we're all walking in the field with butterflies and daisies, <laughs> we might feel comfortable but we're not doing anything. We're not having an effect. But once we are in the middle of this together, together church, about the purpose, walking with one another, making a difference for the kingdom, not because of our strength, but because Jesus Christ who gives us strength, that's when the Satan is very aware of what is going on. And he's going to do his dead level best to drive a wedge between all of us and divide us and try to, remind, try, to, try to remind us or make us think of something that is not true. But we have victory. We stand here. And Satan does not want us to stand victorious, but in Christ, we all have victory. This is exciting to me. Before the game is played out, we already know. We thought we had the game yesterday. But it's different for us. I was hoping that the Irish would win last, and I could maybe turn that illustration up a little bit different. But we can be guaranteed of a victory this morning and every day, folks. Be encouraged, be encouraged, and walk 
in victory, or stand, rather, in victory against the attacks that we have from Satan and stand with one another, arm in arm, linked together. Stand strong. Let me pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you, Father, for bringing us together in this place where we stand with you who has already won the victory for us. And Father, when we are weak, when we are struggling, God, I pray that, that, I pray, Father, that we would stand with one another. That we would recognize when there's a person that is weak among us, Father, that you are prompting us to be there with them. Unify us, Father, as a body together. May you be glorified today in Jesus' name, amen.